Hello, welcome to another episode of Unabridged MD. I'm Dr. Isabella Mig, I'm your host, and I'm also the owner and CEO of Unabridged MD in Rheumatology, where we just started to um, have our first patients in rheumatology. So come in, uh, we are ready for you. First direct care rheumatology practice in Colorado. Today, I have an incredible guest, uh, Dr. Karen Kaufman, and she's an immunoallergist, and she's going to talk to us about immunodeficiency. I'm, I have a lot of questions for her. And so, Dr. Karen, would you mind introducing yourself and telling us, you know, what's your, what's your, what has been your journey so far? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Well, hi, everyone, and thank you so much, uh, Dr. Isabel, for having me here with you today. Uh, my name is Karen Kaufman, and I'm an allergist immunologist in Vienna, Virginia, and I am the CEO and owner of Kaufman Allergy, Asthma, and Immunology, where we provide expert care to children and adults who suffer from allergies and recurrent infections, and we give them back the quality of life that they deserve and it's just an absolute joy to be here with you today and to be able to chat about immunodeficiency, which is just one of one of the most fun things to talk about. Um, so, yeah. So thank you so much for having me here. Yeah. No, thank you for being here. So let's let's jump right in. So what is immunodeficiency? How, how do you define this? So immunodeficiency comes in a couple of versions, actually. And so what I see in my practice um, is primary immune deficiency, where you know, primary immunodeficiency happens with um, in, inherent problems with our immune system that even either it happens in one of a couple of ways. Either it's something that we're born with that is inherited genetically, and uh, and it could be something that develops over time. And still, we find that there are genetic linkages um, to these uh, immunodeficiencies that develop uh, later in life, and some can be you know, discovered in every single decade of life. Um, but they are, in, the, in that case, multiple genes that are involved in the development. And so these are all what we call these primary problems or these inherent problems. Um, and this differentiates from secondary immune deficiency, which are problems that are caused by other things. Like, for example, um, like a virus like HIV, which can cause a secondary immune deficiency, um, or individuals who are uh, fighting cancer with various chemotherapeutics that suppress their immune system, and those we call secondary immune deficiencies as well. And we also differentiate this from, you know, when sometimes individuals will say that they're immune suppressed or even immune compromised, it might be the better word for it, which can happen with other underlying disorders that may make them more susceptible to problems, but there's not really a true defect in their immune system that's leading to that. Oh, that's interesting. Sorry, I'm going to write, uh, jump right in this. You're saying there are some patients that possibly have some immunodeficiency, but we are not seeing it per se. Tell us a little bit more about this, because I see... So first of all, in my practice as a rheumatologist, I use immunodeficiency as a way to reestablish the balance of our patients, uh, sure. my patients' uh, sure. uh, immune system. But but tell, tell us about this, the, the fact that they may feel immunosuppressed, but they are not necessarily. Yeah, so a lot of people um, suspect that they have problems that are compromising the immune system that are dr driven usually from underlying inflammatory problems. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that they don't have inflammation, but they may not necessarily be more susceptible to problems of infection, which really is one of the hallmarks of immune deficiency. Interesting. So it's someone, just, just for you know the people who are not uh, in uh, the immunoallergy world, yeah. So someone that has recurrent infection 
is like, and when we say recurrent infection, you'll tell us like, what's the number? That's who would we think, okay, maybe there is immunodeficiency. So when, like, how often are we talking about? It's such a good question. So, you know, the way I, I kind of actually even take a step back and rather than quantifying and saying like, well, you have eight, but not 10 or something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, I really say, look, there are three groups of people who a look at their immune system is warranted. And these are really people who, number one, have too many infections. Well, how many is too many? Depends on what type of infection, right? If it's pneumonia, probably one is too many, right? If it's sinus infections, well, let's see, in an adult who has allergies, maybe one or two a year is considered to be typical or maybe accepted as okay. More than that, unusual, right? In an adult without allergies, zero to one per year is typical. So if someone comes in and they say, look, I have, I have, you know, in a sinus infection every other month, that is totally too many, right? So I just use one, my first category as anyone with too many, too many of, of whatever it is. And so, you know, if somebody says like, look, why is this so strange that I'm getting sick so much? If that thought is even there of this is way more than like other people, right? Like if you get sick way more than your spouse gets sick or any of your colleagues or your friends, and you're constantly the one that's out and on antibiotics, that is not normal. So too many infections warrants an evaluation. Number two is going to be um, infections that are too severe. Okay. So this might be somebody who maybe doesn't have a history of recurrent infections, but then they end up in the ICU with sepsis. Like that's weird, right? That's too severe. Who, who ends up in the ICU with sepsis? Somebody with something severe going on. Or even to take that back a notch, let's say somebody who has um, maybe a bad sinus infection. We'll talk about sinuses for a minute. So maybe a bad sinus infection and they get a course of antibiotics and they're no better. And then they go back and they get a second course of antibiotics and they're still no better. And now they get a third course of maybe yet another antibiotics and it takes a month to kick this thing. Well, that's too severe, right? So infections that are too severe, that warrants an evaluation as well. And then number three would be infections with unusual features. And so maybe this is like an infection with an oddball pathogen, something you wouldn't expect like rather than a typical bacteria, it's some weird one that you've never even heard of, right? Your doctor says, oh, you've got this culture with da-da-da, that bacteria, like, well, that's weird, right? So some unusual pathogens that definitely falls in that category. Maybe it's like a, not just like a pneumonia, right? Which is right too many, but maybe it's a pneumonia with a lung abscess, right? Like that's unusual. If someone would say, wow, that's strange. Why do you have that, Right warrants an evaluation. So those are my three groups. And if patients come to see me and I question everybody about, you know, do you get sick a lot? What kind of infections do you have? If they're hitting any one of those categories, we're going to look at their immune system. Yeah, that's really, that's really good for us to know. And so when, when you, when you have a patient where you're suspecting uh, immunodeficiency, yeah. what's usually your first step? Like what, what would be the step that you would say, okay, your primary care physician has to have looked at this or your rheumatologist or, you know, uh, before we can send them to you? You know, I don't know that that even exists, to be honest with you. Okay. And, and a lot of people come to see me without even being referred, interestingly, because that's the way that it is nowadays, right? You don't mm -hmm. have to have a gatekeeper to your care. And so, um, yeah, so I tell people all the time, like, if you're sick all the time, come see me and we'll figure it out. And, and so, yeah, I would say the problem is 
or one of the problems, there's so many problems. Oh my gosh, I can tell you all the problems, but one of the problems is that. <laughs> there's solutions to you. Yes. The there's problems, a problem, there's a solution. <laughs> so let's say you get sick and you go to your primary care and it's a practice where there's multiple doctors. Maybe you see one and you get antibiotics and you go home and you get better. And then like two months later, you get sick again and you go see somebody else and you get antibiotics and you get better. And then the next time you get sick, maybe you're at urgent care and then you get antibiotics and you get better. And nobody's looking to say, how many of these things are you having? And no one's taking that step back and saying, why is this happening to you like this? Mm -hmm. Right? That is a problem that we miss a lot. And so I would say for patients themselves to be empowered, if they fall into one of those categories, if they're like, I am sick all the time, go get seen, right? Or as a rheumatologist or as a primary care doctor, it's good to ask that question. How often is this happening to you? Is this Mm -hmm. different, right? Like even with children, sometimes I'll see, you know, multiple siblings and there's one kid who's by far the sickest kid. I saw a little boy today who his, he's concerned that because he's sick so often and how he's been missing school so much that his twin sister is going to go into the third grade without him. And he's going to have to repeat the second grade, right? So these are concerns of why is this kid the sick kid or why is this adult the sick one, right? We got to look yeah. No, that's super interesting. So I'm thinking of my patients uh, in rheumatology, you know, one one of the, the way that we get back uh, to remission is sometimes to just help the body to to get into that uh, that uh, balance. And we have, you know, their, their immune system is attacking uh, their own self. So we have to balance this with some immunosuppression. But, you know, as you mentioned all this, I'm realizing I don't have that many patients who develop infection. And usually, you know, I use a lot of rituxan who decreases the immunoglobulin, uh, which are their antibodies. But um, I'm, I'm realizing I'm very, I, I often offer to give them back those antibodies that I'm losing, you know, they are losing. So I'm giving them back the community's antibody. Um, so I was just thinking of how it doesn't actually happen that often in my practice. And I was just wondering so then, yeah, if it does happen, it might not be just due to the rheumatologic disorders. It might be due to their own thing. So, sure. um, so that's really interesting. So can we, can we just, can I ask you like more question about uh, those immunoglobulin, right? Like, so sometimes you check immunoglobulin A, G, and M, which are like the three main one for our auditors who are not necessarily all uh, into this, but uh, I see some that seem to have zero impact on the life of those patients. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder, like, do you, is that something that you see or because you're at the end of the spectrum where you see all the ones that are sick, you don't really see that? Like, can you tell us a little bit about this? Sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. No. And I see this too. So um, yes. So immunoglobulin G, A, and M are the three major classes of antibodies that we need to help us to stay healthy, right? That's, that's how our body does it. And And IgA, I'll talk about IgA first. And so we use Ig as an abbreviation for immunoglobulin, but immunoglobulin A or IgA, um, when it is absent, completely absent, that is by far the most common primary immune deficiency, which we see very commonly. And I would say frequency is somewhere like one out of 400 people to maybe one out of 800 people. That's a lot of people, right, Mm -hmm. that have what we call selective IgA deficiency. And the problem is that during their gene rearrangement, the little place in our genome where this little locus is for the the IgA, it gets looped out is what we call it. So it kind of the, the genome folds over itself and that piece comes off and that commonly happens. And most of those folks are completely asymptomatic. 
And there is no impact on their ability to fight infections or have a completely normal life. And actually, very often when we identify selective IgA deficiency, it's incidental. In fact, we find it a lot actually when we evaluate patients um, who may have celiac disease, because one of the best tests um, for celiac disease serologically is to look for a specific IgA antibody. And so we look at total IgA because if you don't have IgA at all, then it would be a false negative test if you truly have a problem. Uh, and so, um, so anyhow, sometimes it's found that way, but totally incidental. And we don't see in those individuals an increased frequency of infection at all. So, you know, I do get referrals sometimes from primary care. This patient has no IgA, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, there's nothing to do about it. There's literally nothing <laughs> that needs to be done. There's no surveillance labs that need to be done. There's no special treatment those patients just live their life and they're healthy and they're fine. Okay. So that's by GA. The other one that I see that often doesn't have an impact, but sometimes does um, is what's called IgG subclass deficiency. And so um, immunoglobulin G or IgG is what we call this total group of four different subtypes that are just numbered one, two, three, and four. We're just not sophisticated namers of antibodies here. So um, sometimes we will find, and actually if we checked everybody, we would see this in up to 40% of people that there may be a low IgG subclass at some point in time. And when we call it subclass deficiency, we like to see at least two um, two laboratory values where we're below that reference range. And again, many of those folks are, are fine. They're clinically normal. Now, I tend to see more of those folks who are clinically ill, right? Because I see people who have recurrent infections. But if you went around and tested everybody, we may see that people have a low IgG subclass and it's inconsequential to them. So again, if there's no clinical history of um, of, you know, clinical correlation. If those individuals are not having problems of recurrent infection, there's really not much to do with it aside from have, you know, an increased, um, maybe increased awareness that if those folks do get, start getting sick, maybe they do need to have a closer look. Some of them will have more, um, more advanced problems. And I'll say, I see that sometimes in conjunction with another immune problem, which is called specific antibody deficiency which is probably one of the most common antibody deficiency syndromes that I see in my practice. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a problem where we make enough antibodies, but then they don't specify appropriately to certain types of bacteria, which is, it's a little bit of a complex thing to think about, but, um, but I find specific antibody deficiency to be very fascinating. Um, and, and most of the time, you know, either it's a relative problem that we can fix with a booster vaccine, or it may be a more substantial problem that we can treat and help those patients to live much better. So sometimes we will see that in conjunction with I, um, IgG subclass deficiency, and those individuals tend to be sicker overall. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's fascinating. Thank you so much. Uh, really that, that was wonderful. Yeah. Um, so uh, Dr. Karen, where can we find you? So my practice is in the Washington, D.C. suburb of Vienna, Virginia, and, um, and my practice here serves both children and adults. Um, but online, you can find me at my practice website, which is KaufmanAllergy.com. And of course, I can be found on social media. I'm on Instagram at Dr.KaufmanAllergy and on Facebook at KaufmanAllergy. Thank you so much. Yeah. And maybe to finish this, would you have a, a story of hope to share with us? Because that's really the goal of this podcast. 
Absolutely. So, I mean, I think for most of these individuals um, who have problems with their immune system, it's a big story of hope because when we identify that there are problems, you know, I would say these are things that are manageable and that are treatable problems. And with appropriate treatment, you know, many of these individuals will go on to, you know, live a full and normal life without infections, with good surveillance for other things that could occur. And, and they don't let this impact their life and it doesn't have to. So, you know, to be able to have an appropriate diagnosis and to be treated um, accordingly, I think just makes a dramatic difference in the quality of people's lives. And so it's just such a blessing to be able to, to be able to hand that to patients and, and to help them to live better. Thank you so much. It's It's been such a pleasure to have you. Um, thank you again for being here. And to the auditors um, and the viewers on YouTube, uh, I'm Dr. Isabel Amig, your host for On Average MD. We recently opened the first direct care practice in rheumatology of Colorado, and we are open for business and we would love to see you. So if you are looking for a rheumatology that truly cares and wants to get you into remission as fast as possible, I am she. <laughs> Thank you. See you next week.